Amen. That's powerful. We're going to start out today, uh, as, as we've shared with you, John chapter 7. Um, I've, I've titled this message, The Invitation, and we're going to get to all that in just a second. But what you need to know about John chapter 7 is it actually starts back in John chapter 6. Uh, as I was, I was reading through this Gospel of John book, and I noticed some things that lead us up to this. In chapter 6, they saw signs of Jesus. The crowd, the, 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 um, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the rulers, they saw signs. He fed them. Just last week, he fed over 5,000 people. We talked about that. He fed all of them with five loaves and two fish. He walked on water. He walked on water in a storm. He got to a boat that then immediately, after he got on the boat, it immediately arrived on the other side. That's one of my favorite things about that story. And it just still baffles me. Like, did they grab the sides and were like, whoa, we're at the side? I don't know. But he got on the boat and immediately was at the other side. The crowd found him the next day. It's after he fed the 5,000. They found him the next day in Capernaum. They asked him more questions. They asked him questions about where he was. They asked him questions and 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 the thing about asking Jesus questions is you have to be prepared for him to answer them they asked him questions because he was talking about being the bread of life and they asked him questions and he said some hard things he said he said I'm the bread of life unless you eat the bread of life unless you eat of my body unless you drink my blood and it freaked them out and they're like wait a minute what are you talking about and he asked, asked some questions, and he's explaining to him, I came from heaven. I'm here. I'm the bread of life. I am here for you to feast on me. And then they were like, whoa, that's gross. And they were just like, no. And they didn't like the answers. And even then, the Bible says that some wanted to kill him. And then we come to the Feast of Booths. And this is where we're going to talk about, and I'll kind of bring it all in. And hopefully you're, you're reading a chapter of John every week, and we're on John chapter 7, and, and you're kind of, you're reading this, and so you're going to be caught up here in a second, but at the Feast of Booths, uh, which is, by the way, it's the third most important festival that the Jewish people would celebrate, and his brothers, Jesus' brothers, encouraged him, hey, you're doing all this cool stuff, but not everybody has seen it yet. You should go to the Feast of Booths. A lot of people are going to be there. It's going to be sold out. You should go and perform some more things. Let them see you do miracles. Don't do these things for just these small crowds. Go before everybody and share. And then I read what John said about Jesus' brothers. In verse uh, 5, chapter 7, I believe. John said that even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. His own flesh and blood. His brothers who had been with him, who saw him do these same things, are kind of like, eh, we're not sure you're who you think you are. You should go to the big feast and show off. His brothers went to the feast of booths ahead of him. Because Jesus said to them, no, I don't know if I'm going to go just yet. And they went up there. And the Bible says that Jesus went up in secret to the feast. 
But then in verse 14 of chapter 7, it says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, verse 16 and 17, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. One of my favorite things on Instagram is this site. Is a, it's, a, uh, it's called Doggos Being Doggos. You should check it out. It's pictures of dogs doing cute things. And you're like, what does that have to do with it? And I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, one of them is a dog. It's a picture of a dog. He's looking at his owner. And the, dog has shared, the owner has shared something with the dog. And the dog says, you are giving me an educate. And I thought, this what's happening here. Jesus is giving them an educate. He's, he's putting it on them. All right? He's laying it out very simple. And they begin to question, can this be the Christ? And then Jesus says to them, down in verse 28, he says, He proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come for him. And that made people mad. Because he told everybody that he was from God, that he was equal to God, that he was God. He told them the same thing that John said in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was with God in the beginning. And Jesus just verified that to all these people. And the Pharisees are angry. So they do what they always do when they get angry. They sent people to arrest Jesus. But the Bible says they couldn't. They couldn't arrest Jesus because they, they went to arrest him and they listened to him and they went back without Jesus and they said, hey, we sent you to arrest him. Where is he? And they were like, we've never heard anyone speak like him. Not he got away, he went and hid. We've never heard anyone speak like him. We couldn't arrest him. He was right there and we couldn't arrest him because of the way he spoke. And that brings us to the invitation. And it's John chapter 7, verse 37 through 52. And it starts, it goes like this. And John shares this with us. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. Picture this. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus cries out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It doesn't say that Jesus said to a few folks, hey, it's awful hot. You thirsty? Come drink. Just a few chapters earlier, there's Jesus at the well in Samaria, and the woman's getting water, and he says to her, can I have a drink? And she says, why would you talk to me? It's not that situation. This is a crowded place, and Jesus stands up in church and says, Hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He now has their undivided attention, I would believe. And then he goes on. Whoever believes in me, 
as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now when he talks about your heart, he's talking about your innermost being. It's almost like your, your guttural heart. It's not your, your heart that's beating. All right, Out of your heart, your desire, you believe in me, will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said, now this he said, about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, that, that's coming. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Um, and, and then, let me see where I am. I have a note here for you because I think you should have it. Uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. All right, that's in verse 37. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says, and it's in his first sermon, his, his Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I got to share this with you too, because um, that obviously wasn't in my sermon, but this morning in Sunday school, at the end of Sunday school, AJ said, I want to pray. I said, okay, pray for us. And in his prayer, he prayed that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. He prayed that I would preach good. So if I don't, it's his fault. You go see AJ. He's five. You tell him I did a horrible job and you break his heart. Uh, but, but he, and he didn't just pray that I would hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, Lord, let us all hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he's praying that. And I was like, where did I hear this about thirst in my sermon? I went back and I was like, Oh, I wrote this down after that. I went to my office, had to write this down in my book. I was like, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We said hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we'll be fed. And out of that feeding, because we hunger and thirst for righteousness, out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. In verse 40, he says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Verse 43 says, so there was a division among the people over him. Can you imagine that? People actually being divided because of Jesus. Some of them wanted to arrest him. I was writing this, I would put a dot, dot, dot there instead of a comma. Because the verse 44 says, Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests, the Pharisees, who said to them, why did, you not bring, no, why did you not bring him? They answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And then Nicodemus, in verse 50, who had gone to him before and who was one of the Pharisees, one of them said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now these are the religious leaders, and this is the point where they should say, You're right, Nicodemus. 
We should sit him down and we should talk to him and we should find out more information. But instead, they said, verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Like they're calling Nicodemus out. They're like, wait a minute. Are you going to believe him over us? Oh, you must be from the same place then. And they tell Nicodemus, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. I noticed some things when I read this and studied this. You see, our, our Lord has become a controversial figure. Some enmity against him is beginning to break out like wildfire. I use that word because back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the, the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge, there was a prophecy that said enmity would break out. And it's happening. But why would Jesus say something like that in the middle of church? Why would he stand up and say, if anyone thirsts, come let him drink. At the Feast of Tabernacles, no less. This was something they did. Like I said, it was the third most important feast, if you will. And they actually built these little booths. That's what they, they called it, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. They built these little booths. And, and they lived in them throughout the feast. And it was symbolic of the journey, the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness coming to the promised land to remind them. And every day there was this ceremonial pouring out of water in the temple and a double portion on the last day reminding them that God gave them water from the rock in the wilderness in Exodus 17. And, and right here, using this symbolism, Jesus gives his invitation in verse 30, 37. He says... If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Every day they've watched the priest do this. And then in verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Drinking and believing carry the same meaning here. And Jesus blesses all who believe in him with rivers of living water of his spirit so that we will bless others. You see, in this invitation to us, in this invitation to everyone there, there's a promise there's a requirement, and there's a result. Jesus blesses all who believe in him with rivers of living water of his spirit. And in saying this, Jesus shows them that he is God in human flesh. To appreciate this claim, though, we need to understand a little bit more about the setting. Here they are at the Feast of Booths. It's, it's um, after Passover and Pentecost. Those are the other two favorite feasts. So it's those two and then the Feast of Booths, uh, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a harvest feast of thanksgiving to God. There was a lot going on during this week. And it also looked forward to the final harvest, the ingathering of the nations during the Messiah's kingdom. The point of that was that God brought our ancestors to the promised land. And now we're looking forward to the nations. We're looking forward to everyone coming together for the Messiah's kingdom. And here's Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah. This is my kingdom. <laughs> Come and drink. And they want to arrest him. You see, every day during this feast, this daily procession, it was led by a priest. They carried a golden pitcher, a nice golden pitcher full of water that was drawn from the pool of Siloam. And then the water was poured out at the base of the altar in front of all the people. And at the same time, another priest would pour out a pitcher of wine on the other side of the altar, which pointed to the future outpouring of the Holy Spirit as it was predicted by Isaiah. 
There's all this symbolism going on, and all this, this water's being poured out, this wine is being poured out, there's just future things happening, and Jesus stands up, and, and John wants us to see that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And as Jesus stands up and says, I'm here, it's time, let's start doing this, but instead of going, amen, hallelujah, whatever they would say, they want to arrest him. And John 1.14, he told us, literally, the word became flesh and lived tabernacled, lived among us. Paul tells us that Jesus is the rock that supplied Israel with water in the be- de- barren desert. Got a little ahead of myself. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 10.4, he said, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. He's also the bread of life. The fulfillment of the manna that sustained Israel in the wilderness. We talked about that some in John chapter 6. That was the whole point. He's feeding the 5,000 and then he turns around the next day and he says to the ones that followed him across the water, I am the bread of life. I am the water that you need to drink from. In case you missed it, John is showing us that Jesus fulfills all that this feast symbolizes. The water pouring ceremony took, took place every day for seven days. Followed by the eighth day when a holy convocation, if you will, was held. And on this day, Jesus offers up living water. And this offer of living water showed everyone that he was the fulfillment of the pouring ceremony of the previous seven days, which is why the Pharisees wanted to arrest him. Wait a second, if you're the fulfillment of it, we don't get to celebrate this anymore. John says in in John 7, 37 through 38, Jesus stood and cried out, or he shouted in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is a huge claim. This is astonishing. No mere human could make this kind of a claim. Come to me, and I'll fulfill the Scripture. That's what he's saying. And living water will flow out of your heart, your innermost being, Who except God in human flesh, God tabernacling, God among us, could legitimately make such a claim? Something else to consider. Jesus' offer. It's open to everyone. He doesn't say in this tabernacle, or in the synagogue, he doesn't say, let the good Jewish people come to me. He doesn't say that. Anyone. Anyone. That's as broad a statement as you can get. That Jesus, he, he extends it to his enemies. They were there. They wanted to arrest him. The same soldiers that were going to arrest him later, that were going to crucify him, they're in the vicinity. And he's like, anyone. They were there. Those who were trying to kill him, they could come and drink. It later, it extended to a man who described himself as the chief of sinners. You may remember him. His name was Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Anyone. Even though they were going through all the prescribed Jewish rituals, Jesus is telling those rituals can't save you. Your religious observances can't save us then or now. Everyone needs to come to Jesus and drink. 
Because the Spirit inspired John to record Jesus' word here, the offer extends to each of us. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home and have always gone to church or whether you're a complete pagan or a convicted criminal or just a little street rat. The offer is for you. Come to Jesus and drink. No one is excluded. To underscore this truth, the Bible, if you jump all the way to the end, to Revelation, it ends by repeating this offer. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We don't have to pay for it. We just have to want it. And there's a condition. You have to do your part. You have to be thirsty. Jesus cries, if anyone is thirsty, are you thirsty for God? The Bible uses that kind of language often. We just saw it in Revelation 22, 17. Um, Isaiah 51, or 55, 1 proclaims that everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you have, uh, even if you have no money, come, buy, eat, come, wine, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Uh, the psalmist David cries out in 42, 1, he says, as the deer Pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. In, in Psalm 63, 1, he says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Come and drink. At first glance, being thirsty for God seems easy enough, but the problem is that because of sin in our world, we either don't recognize our thirst sometimes or we just seek to satisfy it in the wrong ways. John Piper's dad was an evangelist and he told him the most difficult thing was not getting people saved, but getting them lost. I thought, what? You see, in other words, people don't sense their desperate need for Christ. They don't feel thirsty for him. And so instead, they try to quench their thirst with many wrong things. And so the hard part is, is letting, us, letting folks know they're lost, because a lot of times we don't think we are. We think that success and money and fame and drugs and sexual pleasures and things like that will satisfy that thirst. But the thirsting for things other than God and his glory, that's the root of all sin. And once you recognize your thirst for God, the good news is that the offer is a free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work all your life for it. It's not like your 401k or your retirement plan. You don't have to clean up your life first to qualify for it. That's the best part. And see, the simplicity of the invitation that Jesus offers here is to receive the living water. Just come to Jesus and drink. Isn't that great? Jesus didn't say, if anyone is thirsty, you keep digging, and eventually you're going to hit water. He didn't say, if anyone is thirsty, let him join the church, get baptized, take communion, give money to the church, clean up your life, attend church every Sunday, and then I'll let you have this water. He just said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He doesn't say if you're thirsty, go over here and drink. He says, come to me and drink. That word me implies that this is an intentional, 
personal relationship that Jesus is inviting you into. It's not about a bunch of religious rules or rituals. What could be more simple? Think about it this way. It's the middle of Alabama summer. It gets warm. You're outside working in the yard. It's hot. And your wife comes out with a pitcher of ice-cold lemonade and says, come and drink. Look, it doesn't take a lot of effort. It doesn't take a lot of willpower. It doesn't take a college degree for you to go to her and get a glass of lemonade and quench your thirst. To come to Jesus is to come to the one who loved you so much that he came to earth and he suffered the horrors of the cross to pay for your sins. That's what drinking of Jesus means. There's a parallel comment in verse 38. It makes it very clear. He who believes in me, John repeats, believe in this clarifying statement of verse 39. To receive the living water that Jesus offers, come to him and drink. Make him your own. A river running through the desert does you no good if you don't drink from it. Oh, I'm so hot and thirsty. Oh, there's a fresh stream. That's nice. I'm still hot and thirsty. That's what we do. We have the source. If you feel thirsty, ask Jesus to satisfy your thirst with his abundant, free salvation. And the person of this promise is Jesus, the eternal God in human flesh. He gave himself on the cross for our sins. The breadth of this promise is as wide as humanity. It doesn't stop right here in these walls. It goes all the way around. And, and the condition of this promise is just that you simply must be spiritually thirsty. The simplicity of the promise is that all you have to do is come to Jesus and drink. And the supplier of the promise is the Holy Spirit. In John 7, 39, he explains, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is setting him up for success. The Greek text literally is, the Spirit was not yet. All right? John's not saying the Holy Spirit didn't exist. John's saying the Spirit was not yet manifested on earth as he would be on the, day, um, on the day of Pentecost after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven once he was glorified. So don't make any mistake here where it says, where it says that, all right, that the Spirit was not yet. It just was not here, but the Spirit was around. And maybe you're wondering, well, if the Holy Spirit is living in me, then why don't I experience the rivers of living water inside of me, flowing from me? Maybe you're thinking my, my life is more accurately, accurately described as a trickle of water. Like when your shower head gets clogged up with the calcium and you turn it on and it just kind of, is that your spiritual life, just a trickle of water? Not rivers. You see, other places in Scripture teach us that we must learn to walk in the Holy Spirit to experience His fullness. If you're not reading God's Word, if you're not spending time with God, you can't expect a river to flow through you. You can't expect to walk in the Spirit. Think about it this way. Walking is something that we have to learn how to do as children. 
At first we fall a lot. But after a while we hardly even think about walking unless there's pain related to it or you're on a slippery surface. Walking's not a spectacular thing. Paul doesn't say leap by the Spirit or fly by the Spirit. It's a slow step-by-step process that will gradually get you where you're going if you keep at it. But to walk by the Spirit means that each day in every situation you begin to yield yourself to Him, relying on Him to work in and through you. And then during the day, the flesh rears its ugly head and you have some issue of anger or selfishness or whatever. You immediately confess it to the Lord. You turn from it. You ask the Holy Spirit to help control your thoughts, your words, your actions. As you learn to walk this way consistently, slowly, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in your life. If you're wondering what those are, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 And 23 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody in here need to work on any of those? Okay, glad it's not just me. Okay, good. I'm in good company. (laughs) Why does the Lord give us the Holy Spirit where John portrays here as rivers of living water flowing from our innermost being? Because Jesus blesses those who believe in him with rivers of living water so that we will be satisfied in him. But that's not where it stops. It's so that we will become a source of blessing to others. The rivers, they, they don't, it doesn't say the river is going to dam up inside you and you're just going to fill up with the Holy Spirit and, and it's just going to be yours. Is that the rivers flow out of us to others who are thirsty Our world is a barren desert. People are dying of thirst and some of them don't even know it. And you and I are to be the rivers of living water that these dying people need. And as they see Christ in us, as they see the fruit of the Spirit in us and want what we have, we can tell them how they can come and drink. How they can come to Jesus and drink and be satisfied. Lost people desperately need what only we who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can give them. And that's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the whole point when we say, go to win and commit to grow. Go and share with the thirsty the living water. These rivers should flow from us even to other believers, other people in this very room, maybe going through a dry spell. Look around. Go ahead, look at the people beside you. If somebody's sleeping, nudge them. Look at the people behind you. Seriously, get, make it uncomfortable. Look back at those people. Look at them in the back row. It's okay. They're looking at the back of your head. You guys already admitted that you sometimes struggle with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control and gentleness. And now when we look around and I look at you guys on the front row and the back row and in the sound booth, These river, this river should flow from us to other believers. Some of you are going through dry spells. I'll tell you guys over here. I'm not going to tell them. Sometimes your elders, your staff, quit leaning over here and trying to listen. Sometimes we go through dry spells. You weren't supposed to hear that. Just for this side. 
People look at, I mean, yeah, we're preaching the word, we're, we're doing hospital, we're doing the stuff that we're called to do. Sometimes we go through dry spells. Sometimes we need you to pour some of that water into us. Say amen, Andy. Yeah. All right. You don't, it's not, oh, look, I'm a Christian. I'm never going to be dry again. Now, sometimes you get dry. Other believers, sometimes in this room, some people here are thirsty and they're struggling with, with where that water's going to come from. And even Paul and Titus, leaders, they were refreshed by other believers. 1 Corinthians 16, 18, 2 Corinthians 7, 13. As you're filled with the Spirit and satisfied in Christ, you can write those down and look at them later, but as you're filled with the Spirit and satisfied in Christ, you can overflow to those around you. Let it start in your home. Let it start with people in this place. Look around. Are you willing to invest in other people that are right here in this place? Are you willing to mentor? Are you willing to disciple so that we would all be filled with living water that can overflow? I got to tell you something. If you want to see this place and our community overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then it's time for us to begin sharing the living water. It should be flowing daily from husbands to wives. From, from wives and husbands to children. It should be flowing from wives to husbands. It should be flowing from parents to children. It should be flowing from grandparents to parents to children. It should be flowing back from children to parents. And it's not about just cleaning your room. It is a good start. But if we're going to share living water, these qualities should be flowing between us in this very room. Even, even if you find a fellow Christian to be difficult to be around. Stop looking at me. <laughs> oh, wait, you're, you have to. Sorry. I got a little self-conscious there. Listen, if you only come to church to get something for yourself, you won't go being the source of a refreshing spring of living water. You'll actually be more like the Dead Sea. It's so salty that nothing can live in it. It has, it, seriously, the Dead Sea has rivers that flow into it, but nothing flows out of it. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. If you come to church so that, that people will flow into you, but you leave here and you're not letting it flow into others, you're just like the Dead Sea. You're salty, you're crusty, you're dead. When you come to church, come with this prayer. Lord, fill me with your spirit and flow out of me toward those who may be thirsty. I'll say it again. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, and flow out of me toward those who may be thirsty. As you allow the rivers to flow out of you to others, you'll discover that you're actually becoming more filled than before you started giving out. Uh, we did a series back in October and in Christmas time. You can't outgive God. That was the whole point of the Christmas Revolution. See, that's the key to preventing burnout. If we become satisfied in Christ and we let His fullness flow through us into others, that's how it works. You don't want to be like the Dead Sea. You want to be something that has cool, refreshing. Jesus' source of water flowing through you and into the lives of people around you. And as we come to our response time this morning, the question I have for you is this. 
How are you pouring into others? What should you do in response to Jesus' invitation here? In answering these questions, you need to decide if the river of living water flowing from your innermost being describes you. If it doesn't describe you at all, then come to Jesus and drink. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you have to admit that it's more like a trickle and and make it a priority to be satisfied daily with the riches of Christ. And whether your first step is for baptism, for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, or you would simply just like the elders to pray with you and help you get jump-started back into that. The elders are here. They'd love to do that with you. But however you choose to respond to Jesus' invitation this morning, where he said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. However you choose to respond to that invitation, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to his invitation accordingly?